to the Quarter to Three Games podcast for uh, mid-August 2019. My name is Tom Chick, and my game of the week is not Wing Commander Legend of the Xinti's Tiger Claw. Wow. <laughs> this is Nick Diamond, and my game of the week is not Tech War. Mm. Jesus Christ. That's mean uh, to Shatner, right? I don't wow, know what he yeah. did to you. That was a deep dive. Uh, this is uh, Jason McMaster, and um, my game of the week is not Rise of Nations by any means at all. That was kind of a dive into the shallow end of the pool, but you avoided hitting your head on the edge of the pool, McMaster. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> all right. Well, McMaster, let's start with you. If your game of the week is not Rise of Nations, I don't know why that wouldn't be someone's game of the week. What do you got instead? Well... Uh, you know, there's that new cool game, Age of Wonders Planetfall, that came yeah. out. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. a, it's real sexy and everything. It That's is colorful and, uh, and and myriad like stuff going on, and all these systems and cool races and yeah, I can't imagine anything that comes close to that. Well, uh, I actually do like it, but uh, I've actually been playing more of an older game, one from the Stone Age. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, called Warhammer 40k Gladius Relics of War. I mean, I don't think it has enough titles, but that was... <laughs> That's and definitely one thing it's got on Planetfall. Planetfall only has, like, what, four words. Gladius has got, yeah. like, a, it sounds like you got about 20... Uh, it's got a bunch of words and numbers in Gladius. Yeah, there's, like, a couple of colons, some dashes. Uh, I don't know what's <laughs> going on in that title. It's insane. So, Nick, real quick, before we embark on this conversation, have you have you fiddled around with either Gladius or Planetfall? Oh, yeah, both of them. Both oh, good, them. good. Uh, okay. Gladius, I think, was my game of the year last year, right? Sweet. Master, then I picked, yeah. tell us what they have in common. Why, why would we be discussing these in the same uh, segment? Because they're they're a lot more similar than you'd imagine, other than the fact that Planetfall throws in the overall like the strategy layer that is not present in Gladius, which is why I kind of think I've been playing Gladius more. Um, because I... As much as I think it's cool, the the XCOM kind of like tactical layer, it's also kind of long-winded and uh, you know I don't know a little extraneous sometimes. So they're they're both like science fiction games set on right. uh, a foreign planet where distinct asymmetrical factions are vying against each other, and in a way the planet's ecology. Uh, right. And I think they both harken back to Brian Reynolds' Alpha Centauri. Uh, in that regard. They're science fiction over a Civ-type game without the normal science fiction 4X of having you explore planets and solar systems and having spaceships and whatnot. Um, but, McMaster, so you, you mentioned the... Uh, the so, so they both, though, have city building, though, don't they? Yes. Like, isn't that, yeah. that, that, so what, then, would you call out as... A, as what sets them apart the most, then, would you say? So... You, we mentioned what have what they have in common. What's what would you say is the one thing that makes one preferable to the other for you? Uh, well, it, it kind of depends on what angle you're looking at, but just the sheer I think the time for a Gladius game as compared to the time for a Planetfall game is considerably different. It does uh, feel like Gladius has this kind of like compressed RTS feel, whereas Planetfall has this sprawling Civ Four feel, doesn't it? Yeah, and you know that's kind of what's weird to me because people have, you know, it's Gladius is called a 4X, but I don't really believe it's a 4X. Right? There's yeah. there's no strategy layer. 
I mean, there's there's no not strategy. Like, there's no um, uh, you know, um, whatever friendship well, you... and stuff between people. Diplomacy. Oh, right, right. No, diplomacy. That's a very good point. It's war all the time. You know what? And diplomacy right. can be so awkward in these games, can't it? Yeah. Yeah, and that's one of the things I actually don't like about Planetfall that much because it takes the same diplomacy model as just about every other game uh, for the most part. I mean, there's, you know, there's their own little touches on it. Uh, but uh, Warhammer reminds me more of just a sheer, it's a war game. It reminds me more of a board game than it does a PC game in a lot of ways. Uh, just because you have you have those factions on the board that you have to interact with, the gray factions, the the building up your troops, the moving around. Uh, there's quests involved that you can win via. So it, it it's strange to me. I I think they're both. I think they both streamline out a lot of the non-military elements of a Civ game. Uh, but Gladius, I think, is much more ruthless about that streamlining. But I do feel no, I both so. of them are in the service of, rather than growing cities and being an economic game where, hey, if I want, I can just play peacefully and not have an army. Both games are like, no, you can't, you can't do that here. If you're getting into this game, you're going to get your hands dirty and you're going to fight. These are both yeah. games in support, ultimately, of moving armies around on the board and having them punch each other, I feel. Yeah. 100%. And, you know, that's, it's funny because I've been thinking about what, what really does it for me in Gladius that a lot of 4X games don't do. And I think it's the... It's kind of like how Blizzard approaches games in that they try to distill everything down to its base parts. Mm-hmm. Kind of cut away anything that's extraneous, anything that doesn't, you know, that's just there for flash or can confuse or, or whatever to give some sort of like level of complexity that might not really be there. It's all just kind of straightforward. Um, and of course, I mean, the strategy isn't, but the game itself is, is all there. I think you can learn a lot about both games by comparing their tech trees. Right. As far as complexity, yeah. Nick, yeah. what? Uh, okay. if you had to pick one that you prefer over the other, which would you pick, and what's the single reason that's the biggest uh, factor in your choice? Ooh, ah, uh, boy. I, for... Just my... Just based on the familiarity with both of them, uh, at this point... I'd still have to pick Gladius. Mm-hmm. Um, I just like that focused. Like I'm not messing around di- with diplomacy. The, the you know the research tree is very you know tight, um, yeah. and it just feels like like you know here's the goal, and the goal is pretty much you need to kill everyone, <laughs> and right. and that's it. Like just do it right. Like it. And I. Yeah, it feels very much. I think you hit the nail on the head. It feels very much like a. Like a, like a hybrid board game type deal where, you know, there's the one goal, do it, here's the set of rules, get it done. Planetfall so far, I mean, I like it, um, but I'd say the, the, you know, the biggest thing with Planetfall is it's very sprawling and uh, there's still some systems I don't think I've got a complete grasp on yet. Mm-hmm. Uh and it, you know it's going to take a lot more time, I think, to to kind of climb that parabola. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that's that's why I currently like I love both games. 
but I currently uh, am enjoying Planetfall. If I had to pick one at this point, I would go with Planetfall, just because for me right now, there is so much of that joy of discovery in Planetfall, in learning the systems, in learning the factions. Planetfall does something that Gladius can't do, because Gladius is, for better or worse, a Warhammer-licensed game. So what Planetfall can do that Gladius doesn't have the luxury of doing is the same thing that Triumph Studios, the folks that make Planetfall, did with their Age of Wonders game, and that's giving you these crazy combinatorial powers over how you're going to play, what kind of faction you're going to play. Uh, in Age of Wonders, you would choose a fantasy race and I think like a class. So you could be like a halfling necromancer or an orc paladin or whatever. Um, Planetfall for me right now, I just have this dizzying array of choices and different ways to play and different options on the tech tree based on which uh, race I play, and then they call the class your, quote, secret tech. Um, so there's a lot of, and then, of course, your hero, you can give little, you can start him with some different skills, um, whereas in Gladius, I'm just the Tyranids. You know, it's, you pick your faction, and that's who you're playing, whereas Planetfall has much more of this Masters of Magic, build your own and make crazy things happen, and certainly some of them are overpowered, and if you can find this great combo, good on you. You know, you've kicked the right. game's ass. Uh, whereas there's, I think, just a lot more RTS-style balancing and tuning and engineering of interactions in Gladius. I feel like Planetfall's a great big crazy toy box for me to just sort through and... There's something joyous about all the options in Planetfall, and, and I think that kind of speaks to it as well. It's it's hard to compare the games um, because Gladius is not as much of a game. Like there's not as much there, but I think it's a tighter experience, and it's just kind of a I don't know. It's like board games, you know. And I mean, that's the, the fun compare. thing. The fun thing is, McMaster, I think they're both great, and if yeah. you present to someone which do you prefer, in a way, it says more about the person than the games. No, yeah, absolutely. And that's what I was going to say is like I've I've come to the realization that sometimes I like 4X games, but they're not my favorite genre. I get bored with them because there's just so much stuff going on that it's like I, I don't know if I want to demo devote enough time to actually master it. Yeah. Whereas something like Gladius, it's more about the actual strategy than the knowledge, if that makes any sense for know. me it's the difference between sitting down to watch a tv show that has five seasons with 13 episodes in each season and they're each an hour long that's planetfall uh gladius right. is hey here's this really cool british miniseries it's only six episodes <laughs> right right yeah. And, oh yeah yeah <laughs> and there's something just really satisfying about being able to sit down and play through a game of gladius and one sitting pretty easily yeah and um, i will say this though real quick in planetfall's defense the default is, you know, six factions, lots of elbow room for all the factions. You're going to be out expanding a while before you bump elbows with someone. Uh, but you can distill Gladius down to just a lot more quicker, intenser fighting. Uh, there, there are plenty of options to set up the game, but I think the game is tuned to be a longer sprawling experience. Um, and I do want to highlight... Even though right now I definitely prefer Planetfall, and I don't want this podcast to be all of us being pro-Gladius, because I'm super pro-Planetfall at this point, but in the long run, I think I would go with Gladius simply because, and this is, again, this says more about me, the whole um, decision to break out tactical combat into a separate kind of game... 
that always, I mean, I understand why people do it in XCOM and Creative Assemblies games. I adore that stuff. But when I play a strategic layer and then have to bop down into a tactical layer and then go back to the strategic layer and then bop down in the tactical layer, like, I always get this sort of design whiplash sensation from that. Well, it's exhausting. I mean, and that's really it what is. it is to me. It and that's why I stopped playing. Like, when I play those Warhammer, the Total War games, I, I don't. I don't do that layer very often if I'm just playing, you know, if it doesn't matter. I'll almost always simulate it if I think I know what's going to happen either way. Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to take the chance. I mean, sometimes you can and you can turn stuff around, but it's also not really worth my time, I feel. So, I don't know. Uh, do you guys have a favorite faction yet in Gladius and or Planetfall? Um, I haven't played enough Planetfall, but like to say, I, uh, I, I like Planetfall a lot. That's that's not, you know, as you were saying, I, I actually do enjoy the game. I think it's does some really cool stuff. Um, but yeah, I haven't played enough Planetfall. But in, in Gladius, uh, I've been playing the Necrons. I really like them. Oh, they are. Yeah, cool. you know what? Yeah, like Killer Undead Robots is a pretty cool yeah, angle. Yeah, yeah, it's a cool concept. Yeah. Nick, who do you tend to go with? What's your favorite in either one? Uh, I like the Imperial Guard. Um, in the Gladius, just because uh, they're a little deceptive, because you think with the Imperial Guard you should kind of treat them like the Zerg or something right. and just make a bunch of cheap soldier no, units. They're powerful. Really, yeah, really the way to do it is you need to climb that tree as fast as you can and get to the vehicles. Yep. Uh, and then, you know, really kit out your troops, and, and that's how you kind of you know win with those guys um in planetfall so far i really like that insect race the kirko haha you remember the I'm, name nerd yeah, i don't know if Lord i'm nerd. right though <laughs> there's an apostrophe in the middle how you know what is kirko i don't know it's k-r um, apostrophe k-o i believe yeah uh the funny thing is you can take the all biological insect dudes right well all their mm -hmm. tech is biological mm -hmm. um and you can take the tech where the the one secret tech where they merge with computers mm -hmm. yep um and then you get the benefits of both <laughs> and it's kind of that that dissonance like i was mentioning before a halfling necromancer who ever heard of such a thing but knock yourself out if that's what you want to play yeah insect board hell yes exactly exactly right right uh, and that that also like I like I mentioned before, there's just I I at this point I couldn't pick a favorite in Planetfall because I'm too busy trying different combinations. Planetfall is almost like an an, uh, an action RPG where you get altitis. Like you have a main, right. but then you want to try all these others, so nobody ever gets super high level. So I've played so many games of Planetfall to turn 30, and then just wanted to try something else. Uh, yeah. So. Have you messed with the campaign any at all? I think it's kind of fascinating. No, I, I started and realized, okay, this is just a bunch of scripted stuff. I'm, I'm going to go play the scenarios, the real game. Has, has either of you guys pushed very far into the campaign? No. A uh, couple of <laughs> scenarios. I mean, they're like I said, they're okay because they're specifically designed. I, I don't like the voice acting stuff. And, all. and I will say that game... Oh, that's right. I turned that off super fast, McMaster, so I even forgot oh there was voice acting. Oh, my God. The oh, quotes the when you quotes. level up. Oh, my God. Oh. It almost it's makes you not down. want to research anything. 
Right, yeah. It's and that would be another thing I give Gladius. You know, forty uh, yes. K stuff might be kind of corny, but good God, There's good writing in there, leagues, isn't there? Yeah, it's leagues yeah. better. <laughs> and not just leagues better, like actually good. Like I like reading all that yeah. lore text in, in Gladius. Somebody they either ripped that out of some established Warhammer stuff, or they hired they a good writer. Did. Yeah, because there's so much Warhammer writing out there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right, so uh, Planetfall and Gladius, I think we all like both of them a lot. Uh, yeah. I'm currently still super enjoying the honeymoon with Planetfall. I think Nick, uh, you and McMaster have decided that ultimately you would you would come down on the Gladius side, but you appreciate both of them. So. Oh yeah. 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 No. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm loving Planetfall so far. So. Yeah. Well, I'm taking Planetfall to the prom, so you guys have to do something else and find some oh. other option. Oh. <laughs> Speaking of prom, Nick, tell me about the game Ion Maiden. Oh. No. Yeah. Right. Remember those days? You get a fat lawsuit on you, man. What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Ion Fury. Which, uh, yeah, dang it, Ion Maiden's such a better name, too. Right. <laughs> oh, and it also does, it gets to the one of the pivotal ideas that, you know, uh, the Duke Nukem stuff was so, for better or worse, like this 80s testosterone oh, yeah. dude, all the hot chicks are literally at his feet. Uh, and I just love the twist with Ion Maiden that, hey, it's this super tough chick as the lead character now. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you didn't know, they, they were threatened with a lawsuit by... Iron Maiden, uh, oh, and uh, they they just you know instead of going through the lawsuit they just ah, all right we'll just change the name to Ion Fury so which is I just that's it, so it does, painfully generic yeah. it's generic and it doesn't even make sense in the you know Ion Maiden at least the Maiden part kind of made sense right is the there Ion, an Ion Gun maybe in the game no I I think it's <laughs> I think it's the bad guy I, I'm not sure oh. So, yeah. Okay. Who, who well, by well, the way, the main bad guy is voiced by the same guy that voiced Duke Nukem. Oh, that's a nice little bit of meta. That's cute. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, oh god, talk about callbacks. There's a million. Anyway, Ion Fury is the retro throwback shooter, whatever you want to call it, uh by 3D Realms and Void Point. Uh and it's basically, well, I've heard other people call it the lost sequel to Duke Nukem 3D, basically. Mm. So if there was a game in between Duke Nukem 3D and Duke Nukem Forever, this would have been it. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if I totally agree with that assessment. What what, uh, what do you take issue with? Uh, I don't agree with that, uh, with that description fully because uh, the first thing is, I, I think the level of computing power needed to run this game... Uh, would not have existed at that time period. I mean, this, it, it may use the build engine, uh, which of course is 20 years old, mm -hmm. but the creators, Voidpoint, have taken advantage of the fact that everybody has, you know, at least a couple cores and a smoking good graphics card. Um, Wait, so you're so saying this that this thing... is a graphics intensive game? Yes. What? Yes. But it's the build it... engine. It's the build engine, but it uses OpenGL. You can use software, like just straight software rendering. That option is in there. And if you do, you're going to see that difference. It's going to immediately drop 30 frames. <laughs> like, it it chugs if you put it on software rendering. Um, well, 
No, I've, and that's I've played... mainly... Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Yeah, that's... I mean, it's mainly because they push this engine to the limit. I mean, there are giant wide-open spaces, very complex geometry. Uh, almost all the sprites are voxel sprites for props. Um, and, uh, most of the weapons are hit-scan weapons. It's... I, I mean, it really pushes the engine. And it, now, I, I, it would not have been possible on an older PC. So the stuff you're describing just might be lost on me. Maybe I don't have enough tech know-how. But I've played some of the first level, and and it, it never occurred to me, yeah, this looks great, or this is pushing tech. I guess maybe because I don't appreciate those kinds of things. But is it because later on it stresses that stuff more, or is it simply because I just don't appreciate some of what you're describing? Uh, it might. Like, does be it get progressively better looking or more ambitious as it goes on, or is that something you can see right out of the gate in the first 15 minutes? I I would say a little bit of both. Yeah, okay. it's uh, there's if you've played that first level, that kind of a lot of the levels in Ion Fury are designed so it's almost like an octopus. There's a main hub area which is kind of open, mm-hmm. and then there are very complicated uh, tentacle areas surrounding it that you would have to access through keys or cards or secrets or whatever. Um, and you're you're going to repeatedly go through that main hub open area. Mm-hmm. Um, now you're not and... saying non-linear though, right? No, okay. no, no. It's it's still pretty linear. Like you're you're hunting keys and you're opening doors and you're flipping switches. It's very old school in that respect. So don't you know? Don't expect like a dishonored type experience. Right. Um, you're you're going to be following a critical path. Mm-hmm. Uh, but. Uh, they, I, I think you have to kind of fire up one of the older build games like Duke Nukem 3D or right. Blood or one of these others and compare the two. And I think you're going to find that your memory of how those games looked is not jiving with the way you think it did. That That is an excellent point because there was a, a re-release of Blood on Steam recently. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to play. I, I was so dismayed downloading it and playing a level and thinking, ugh, I, I cannot. Exactly. <laughs> My memory has been lying to me all these years about, yeah. about Blood. Yeah. And, and it's interesting because Blood, amongst like the build aficionados, Blood is sort of considered kind of the pinnacle of mm. where build went. Mm-hmm. during that time period like it's kind of lauded for the complicated levels and the geometry and the detail and yeah you fire it up and compare that to ion fury and it looks like poo poo <laughs> now another issue i had with just starting up uh, ion fury it's so fast like it's just like i feel like i'm playing quake multiplayer or something like it just is so quick is that just me or it's, that's just how those games play um, it, it's definitely a little faster than you probably played Duke Nukem. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, it is kind of equivalent, I would say, to uh, some of these other retro game, games that have popped up that have, you know, built on, like, either the Quake engine or Unity or whatever. Um, Dusk, for example. Uh, you know what I, I think, think it might be, Nick, is... In a medieval, which is the one I've been playing, I'm some yeah. crazy wizard shooting fireballs and green lightning lasers. Here, I'm supposed to be like a lady cop or something with a revolver. Like if it, 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 since this is kind of grounded in reality, I think the fact that it's so fast just feels weird to me. Like if I were a wizard shooting demons, yeah, okay, that would go super fast. But that might be part of the issue. 
I think that's part of the issue. And and then most of the weapons that you and the enemies use are hit scan weapons. So uh, I think that contributes to the mm. sense of speed as well because There's if you're not moving, yeah, if you're not moving really fast, you're gonna take a bunch of hits all the time. Right, um, right. Which is kind of that's kind of where the down part of the game is for me. Um, as much as I love the level design and I love some of the th- the callbacks that it has in the game, um, really the weapons feel very pedestrian. There's and a that's revolver. a horrible thing to say to something that's yeah. supposed to be compared to Duke Nukem 3D, isn't it? Right, or Blood, or any, right, any right. of the other build engine games. Like they're they're all kind of famous for having wacky weapons, and this game, I mean, you don't even have a rocket launcher, right? Like what? There's Come on, pistol, now you're making shotgun. things up. No, there's like a couple bombs, there's a crossbow, um, and there's a weird, like, sticky bomb as well that's different from the regular bomb that you throw, but, I mean, it's another bomb that you just heft, so I don't know why that's, why they make a big deal out of it. And it's there's a grenade sticky, launcher. Nick. Yeah, <laughs> and then there's a grenade launcher that launches the bombs that you could have thrown anyway, so I don't. I don't know. It's weird, man. <laughs> well, at least it's got it's got the thing, the ray gun, where you shrink someone down and step on him, right? Like that's uh, in there. Nope. Doesn't have what? that. No. Come on. Nope. Doesn't have yeah, the freeze. How do you way. not have that? That's like the best. Doesn't have the freeze way. Doesn't have the uh, the enlarging one. Nope. Doesn't have a demon's head that you shove your fingers into and shoot fireballs out of. Uh, doesn't have uh, the cross that you can boil enemies with. Nah, none of that stuff. It's all it's 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 weird. It's a weird. I feel like a, a missed opportunity for Ion well, Fury. That, that kind of single-handedly oh. kills my interest in exploring it further. Like, if there aren't cool ways to kill enemies, like why, why bother? Yeah, and the the other the the other down thing I feel like is if you play the first two full levels, I'd say you've seen pretty much all the enemies and all the weapons oh, the game is. Oh my god. Yeah. Because I remember well, yeah. when we were talking about in Medieval, one of the things that the selling points that I think both of you guys were into is that each level has unique yeah. enemies. So you finish an area and it's not going to repurpose those enemies. Uh, and if, again, if Ion Fury is just having those same weapons and you're just going to be fighting those same I guess I've seen robed cultists so far. Uh, but if if you see all that stuff in two levels, how many more levels are there? Is it three a three-level game? No, I think there's uh, seven levels total. But, they're I mean, they're big. They're really big levels, right? And they're but made there's of... nothing cool, new weapons or new enemies after the first couple of levels, huh? No. I Sad. Yeah, no. The star of the show really is the level design. Like, the level design, I, I can't – like, I, I know I, I feel like I'm gushing about it, but it really is – something to behold and if you're into build games it, it really it feels um it feels really gratifying to to move through these levels and kind of you know go through that old school you know key hunt and secret hunt uh progression uh, okay you know, if, you've, if very if much you've, a throwback. if you've killed my interest with the weapons and enemies what can you tell me about some of this like describe a cool level thing that would might make me want to play Tell me about an area or a scripted event or something that happens in the world where I might think, oh, okay, I want to try Ion Fury. Um, okay, there is uh, – oh, shoot. I don't want to tell you about the, that. Um, you Like are you avoiding a spoiler? Like is there something so cool you don't want to ruin it? 
I mean, there's a couple parts that are very cool. They're they're very geometry based for the for the game. So I don't want to give it away. Um, I mean, eh. okay. What if I uh, said? What if I said everybody fast forward three minutes if you don't want a spoiler for Ion Fury? Yeah, sure. Okay. Work. Fast forward three minutes if you're going to play Iron Fury. Otherwise, the next three minutes, Nick is going to tell me about something cool that will ruin a moment in Iron Fury that I otherwise never would have seen because at this point I don't want to play it. Go. There is a level that you're basically playing in uh, during an earthquake. So, Like stuff is, uh, is falling down and breaking and being destroyed. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, you huh. got kind of a hint of it in the – if you played any of the early access version – um, the, I think the first early access level that came out was kind of a part of that where you step out into the open area and a building starts to collapse, right? It, that, the full level of that is a lot more of that kind uh, of thing. It's, yeah, yeah, it's I, actually... I the, own this game. I forgot about that. Yeah, because oh, it was called Ion Maiden when you got it, probably. <laughs> it was, right. yeah. That's so yeah, fast like, forward several months, something called Ion Fury comes out and you're like, oh, that's probably another MOBA. What do I care? <laughs> no, I would pay attention. That is true. That would. Have... <laughs> Ion Fury is it some space auto chess? Right, that's, that's more like it. <laughs> All right, so uh, Ion Fury slash Maiden. Um, now I'm tempted. Okay. Well, the name Ion Fury might apply to the game I want to tell you guys about. Because Ion Fury could – that could be like you're flying a spaceship around and you're shooting ion guns and you're furious. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's uh, ion – like ion cannons or something. Right, right, exactly. And as a matter of fact, I think there might literally be ion cannons in Rebel Galaxy Outlaw. I believe that might be one of the weapon upgrades. So, uh, yeah. Unfortunately, the name Ion Fury is taken, so they had to call it Rebel Galaxy Outlaw. Uh, ah. Yeah. No, actually, that's a fair... They did that also for branding. Uh, Double Damage's previous game was Rebel Galaxy, which was a space shooter, fly-fight-trade thing, but you have, you're have you outside of a larger kind of capital ship, and a lot of it is managing turrets and turning your ship and shooting things to the side. Rebel Galaxy Outlaw is much more in the Wing Commander vein of things, where you're in the cockpit, first-person perspective. You can actually back out to a third-person perspective, but I feel like it loses a lot of the charm. This was clearly a game yeah, built to yeah to set to put your butt in the cockpit in the cockpit oops in the cockpit of a cool oh. spaceship. Master, don't let your imagination go those places. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> it, it did just make me think of uh, Burn After Reading, the thing that George Clooney makes. <laughs> <laughs> that's, like the... <laughs> that's the best. <laughs> um, so Re- Rebel Galaxy Outlaw is – you guys have probably heard of it by now. It's uh, Those of you listening um, – and by the way, has, has either of you played much of it? Yeah, I've played a bit of it, yeah. Nick, is that something you've messed with on the Epic Game Store? I haven't touched it yet. I, I want right. to, though. I want to. So it's not on Steam. Uh, this is uh, it's an Epic Games exclusive. So don't go looking for it on Steam. I actually moseyed into the living room yesterday and turned on Steam Big Picture, thinking, "Oh, I bet Rebel Galaxy Outlaw looks really cool on on the living room <laughs> Big Picture mode." Before we talk about it on the podcast, I'm going to fire it up and play it. And I booted up Steam and I was looking through Steam. Where, where is it? Is it not? Sure? And then I realized, <laughs> oh shoot, Epic Game Store. Um, 
So the thing I want to mention about this, it's you, if you've played Rebel Galaxy, you know that Double Damage, the, the fellow over there is Travis Baldry. He's, uh, he's been making games as an indie developer for a long time. The guy knows what he's doing, and you can tell from Rebel Galaxy that he knows the moment-to-moment -moment gratification of shooting at, at spaceships in space. Like that whole Wing Commander vibe of just the, the frantic dogfighting in space. He gets that. The developer Double Damage, they get that. And clearly in Rebel Galaxy Outlaw, they get space combat. And they, just like Rebel Galaxy was a super smooth experience, it felt just ideally suited to a game controller instead of going with this idea of a flight simulator, which is what has informed space action games for so long, instead of going with this flight simulator idea, they just go with straight up action and gratifying shooting and blowing stuff up, and they make it super smooth moving amongst the different elements of the game to just get to where you're shooting stuff. Uh, and so that's also in Rebel Galaxy Outlaw, also super smooth. Um, and some great moment-to-moment -moment space shooting. But what I want to call out is something that uh, I think is unique to Rebel Galaxy Outlaw, and it's an insight that Double Damage has that more developers should have and don't have. And that is the way that it uses uh, specific, the way that it believes in seamlessness. Mm. So I want to call out two games that remind me of this, that I think are implementations of a similar idea, where the seamlessness of the experience is super important. And we might not realize that when we play games a lot, but for instance, Blizzard. When they made Diablo, one of the mandates for Diablo that so many other action RPGs don't realize and don't do, one of the beauties of Diablo 3 there is never a loading screen, almost never. Uh, when there's a right. cutscene, there's a load. But in Diablo, you never have to sit and wait. They'll always, I mean, there's loading, and they'll trick you by, okay, you got to go down an empty hallway, but you never sit and wait. Like when I'm playing a first-person shooter and I get in an elevator, I know, oh, okay, now you guys have to load a level. An elevator might as well be a loading screen. Um, yeah. But it is still better than a loading screen. Um, yeah. So part of the beauty of Diablo no loading screen, and that's lovely to me. I play something I really like, like uh, Victor Vran. Marvel Ultimate Alliance 3. Oh my god, that thing is lousy with loading screens. And I think those developers just don't understand an action RPG should be a smooth experience with no loading screens. Take those seams out, because it's like when you see the zipper in a costume, it ruins the experience. So... The seamlessness of Diablo 3 is an important lesson that I don't think a lot of developers have learned. Another game that I want to call out, and this game is a minor miracle that has been way too overlooked, I feel, and that's Clint Hawking's Far Cry 2. When you want to look at the map in Far Cry 2, most other games, they pop up a whole new screen and the game world is put on hold. And you have to sit there, and you're not in the game anymore. You're looking at some screen. And Far Cry 2 has this idea that the map was like an inventory item. You pull it up, and you pull it up the same way that you would pull up your flashlight or a different gun or a health potion or whatever. It's part of the game world. You pull up that map, and you look at it, and there's never a separate screen for the map. Um, and a few games have sort of played with that, but I feel that was something that Clint Hawking realized in Far Cry 2 that was really important. If I want to get my bearings for where I am, don't put a seam between me and that map. Make it part of the game world. You know, 
And mentioning that, that reminds mm-hmm. me, you, you never really played Sea of Thieves, did you? Uh, that's one of those games that you have to have, you have to in, hook up that stupid Xbox One in your living room, right? No, you can play it on PC. Um, but Oh, the, no, right, uh, but you have to go to the Microsoft Game Store, which is like malware, right? Sort of, yeah, but you've already <laughs> yeah. done it. I know, I know you've already done it. You've played I know. State of Decay 2. State of Decay 2, uh, yep, exactly. But, um, yeah, it's, it's all like that, kind of, in Sea of Thieves as well. Like, the maps, you all, you're always, like, you know, your treasure maps mm-hmm. you hold up, or you can hold up in front of someone else and turn it around as an option so they can read it uh-huh. while looking at charts. And uh-huh. Uh-huh. I thought that, that was pretty cool. Like, the little touches like that are nice in Sea of Thieves. It's a shame they didn't put a game around that. Yeah, they they have. It just took them a year and a half. But, right. Yeah. Oh. But yeah, but that I'm glad to hear that about Sea of Thieves because that, that's that's rare, right? Who did that for Microsoft? Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, and I, I love that kind of thing. So so here's the example of it in Rebel Galaxy Outlaw that I so deeply appreciate. Rebel Galaxy Outlaw, for some reason that is beyond, I, I cannot fathom why they did this. But Rebel Galaxy Outlaw went crazy overboard licensing good music and dividing yeah. it into radio channels. And who knew that I wanted that in my fly fight trade gaming? Um, who knew that I wanted to – I mean Rockstar knew it. Rockstar understands when you're driving around a car in a city, you listen to cool music. So they give you music to be part of the traversal experience in a Grand Theft Auto game. And it's a it's a beautiful mechanic, and it works wonderfully. What Rebel Galaxy Outlaw does to smooth over some of the rough bits, and I only say rough not because, again, uh, they're very good at getting you from combat to combat to combat, but part of what they do to make the interim less noticeable is you're listening to really cool music. And... The seamlessness that they do in Rebel Galaxy Outlaw that I can think of, I'm going to say literally no other game that does this. They never interrupt the music. Normally, when I'm listening to a cool soundtrack or, uh, you know, my in-car stereo and Grand Theft Auto and I pull up a map screen, the music stops. Um, Like, because it's a separate thing. Uh, Even if I pull up, you know, if I want to look at my inventory or something or look at like interrupting the experience of listening to music is taking me out of the game because the 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 music is part of this game world that i'm immersed in and that never happens with one minor exception that never happens in rebel galaxy outlaw if i want to look at the map the music sort of mutes uh but it's still there if it's going to show me a cutscene because i'm going through a jump gate the music does this awesome like distant effect where you're listening to it from space while your spaceship flies along while you get that third person cutscene but Travis Baldry knows that I'm really digging the soundtrack so he doesn't want to stop me having to listen to it so when I'm playing Rebel Galaxy Outlaw there's this really tangible feeling of being in the cockpit of a spaceship listening to cool music cruising through space and instead of playing a game that's going to be interrupted if I call up the menu or if I look at my cargo or want to check where I'm supposed to go for my mission. Like, I love that the music is in there, and I love that it doesn't stop, and I love how much he's obviously splurged to add these great cuts, these great singles in in these different radio stations. Um, So just the sound. I mean, also the sound of stuff blowing up and all the pew-pew of the different guns. That stuff is awesome. Like, the, the kinetic weapons in this... They make your ship rattle, and that's a beautiful thing, but the music that you're listening to is also part of that. It's an integral part of the sound design, and 
I had no idea how much I loved that in a fly fight trade game, and I, I think I would miss it now if I were to go back and, and play one of the X games. I'd be like, where's the radio? Where can I hear cool new music that I haven't heard before? So. You know, I mean, and, you know, I mean, what's funny is you mentioned Diablo stuff. That's the other half of uh, Double Damage worked on Diablo and stuff for, for Blizzard. So. Oh, is that uh, what Travis, is that his background? And I no, it's not Travis. That's the other guy. <laughs> oh, oh, okay, okay. So, yeah, there's one Blizzard guy and then Travis. Well, I mean, I, I think it's obviously the mark of veteran designers. Like, it, it's the sort of, I, I, I'll play, this happens so much in board gaming, too, is I'll play a board game, and there are super common mistakes that are made that w once you've made a few board games, you know better than to do certain things. And you see that in video games as well. Everything in Rebel Galaxy Outlaw, which is a little indie project, uh, just screams, these guys know what they're doing. Um, right. Yeah. Um, all right. So, uh, McMaster, what level are you in Rebel Galaxy Outlaw? Oh, see, I see what you're trying to do there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I still have the basic ship though, because I actually restarted on um, on old school instead of like any of the other settings, you know. Oh wait, is that a difficult? Because I, I don't even remember. Yeah. So, like, the way it works is there's four settings. There's the the normal beginner, and that has, like, flight and gun assist on. And then there's the next one that has, I can't remember. And then one of them has no flight assist but gun assist, but old school has no assist at all. Um, well, wait, so you can't do that thing where you hold down the left trigger and it follows your target? Right. <gasps> Why would you? Wait, what? McMaster? The Oh, oh! By the way, it's Eric Schaefer is the other guy's name. But anyway, um, the uh, I don't know. I, I just wanted to play it like uh, like Wing Commander, you know. I mean, that in a way, I, I I admire you. My hats off to you. That's hardcore because that little holding down that left trigger is yeah. a huge part of what makes the game so smooth. And I feel like I'm not like in a lot of these kinds of games. I feel like oh god, I'm just turning. Obviously, I'm going to keep turning towards what I want to shoot at. So here I am holding the stick down, turning. It feels like Rebel Galaxy Outlaws. Like, look, you and I both know you're just going to keep turning towards the ship. So just hold down this button, and we'll do the turning for you while you can do the fine aiming. But Master, turning that a off. a lot harder. Yeah. yeah, I would imagine you've got to you've got to turn yourself now. Right, and on top of that, you have to you have to lead them and all that using the you know cross. Oh, you don't even get the little indicator. Oh, you do get at least the indicator. You get right. the indicator, sure. Um, well, the turning, by the way, I think even when you're turning, you still have to like line up the shots. It's just basically doing the larger movement of your ship towards the target, I believe. Uh, and also, them, McMaster, the space navigation. Like, if I just want to go to uh, a distant way, like a distant gate or something, I just toggle it into my little targeting, hold down the left trigger, my ship faces it, and then I press the button to jump there. Like, it's part of just making the moving around, the kind of space traversal. Because, face it, space is kind of boring. Uh, they just make it super easy to step through all the little bits to get where you're going. Uh, painlessly. No, and, and no doubt, I just kind of wanted to, to see what it was like because I, no, I was thinking. No, but right. You you just you I I admire that. Those those are serious bragging rights. Um, and it's much harder, like I said. It, it, but it does make me use the other systems in the game a lot more. Like I have to use the battle map a lot. Uh, the in the, the thing where the little three D view of the battle, you mean? Yeah. So that yeah, I, I love that. So I can switch my targets and, you know, so that I'm not just chasing a ship that's flying away from me. I can get the ones that are behind me and stuff like that. You know like what? That. You just made me understand our, our friend Tony Carnavale, who's done the podcast a few times, he made this little crack that I didn't understand what he was saying. He said, I would like Rebel Galaxy Outlaw if it were turn-based. 
So I get this idea that you're, when you're playing it as challenging as you are, if you stop and go in the map and then change your target, that is almost like playing it like a turn-based strategy game. Oh, yeah, you have to. Because basically without the being able to flip and shift to the other targets, they just get behind you and destroy you. Well, you can, uh, but I don't think you have as much control. You, you certainly don't have as can. much control over situational awareness as you do from that 3D map. So, yeah. There's, right. a, there's a game called uh, House of the Dying Sun. Which actually, they might have had to change the name. I know name. that one. I haven't played it, but I know what you're talking about. But it's also, a, a, you sit in a cockpit and you fly around, and it's very much about pausing the game, going into this just really detailed, thoroughly interactive 3D map to change targets and investigate things and get situational awareness. Uh, I can definitely see that Rebel Galaxy Outlaw, at a more challenging level, can be a lot like that. Is pause the game, look at that 3D map to get your bearings, figure out who the biggest threat is. Because I think that map even shows you, if you select an enemy, it shows you what that enemy is targeting. So you get a solid sense for who's fighting whom and who's going where. Yeah, and you also learn the ship names really fast and which ones you think you can take and which ones you can't. Right, right. Like, you know, oh my god, because there's, there's like the ads or whatever it's called, which is a, a bomber, and that yep. one's okay. But there's that uh, Chico Whip or something like that, some weird name. I can't remember the name of it. And that one, that you have to avoid that, that guy, at least at first. But. One of the things that I both love and I'm kind of disappointed with in Rebel Galaxy Outlaw uh, it's one of those games that I feel like the geography is gated by the difficulty level. Like, okay, if I go over here, this stuff is out-leveled for me. And even though you don't technically have levels, how much money you've put into improving your ship, that's basically your level. I feel sure. like there's parts of the map that I'm not supposed to be there yet. If I go there and try to get in fights, stuff is going to kill me. And the game's pretty explicit about that. It'll say, uh, high threat. Or yeah. extreme threat, and that's basically like things are conning red in an MMO or something. Uh, right. But I think the upside of this, um, as much as I really appreciate what's going on, especially with its latest updates with No Man's Sky, I just think that procedural generation can only get you so far. And yeah. double damage, Every the universe is completely 110% handcrafted in rebel galaxy outlaw like they've got the names of the places and the locations and what's what like all, they've they've made the little space stations nothing is procedurally generated they've built this world and there's a linear story that pulls you through it and i just think it shows uh and yeah. i, I kind of love that about it even if it is sort of a conventional geography that it's gated by level if you will yeah oh yeah i mean it's it's like i said growing up with uh, wing commander and everything just kind of it's like playing Wing Commander as you remember playing Wing Commander. Yeah. You know, right. like, like it's like the rose-colored glasses version of Wing Commander, and it's pretty fantastic. It's got so much... Uh, it's like I remember the first time I got a voice pack, one of those Origin System voice right. packs. Right, right. With the, the sound blaster and stuff. And that's It just, God, it just transports me back to that. You know, these guys are all talking smack, and, you're, and you can talk, you know, shit back to them and just, like, go after them and... Uh, I don't know. That's, it's Considering really that uh, that Travis Baldry does uh, uh, audio books, he reads mm-hmm. audio books. It's not surprising that he understands the value of like sound and music and voice acting. And like, I, I'm not the least bit surprised that the overall sound design with the voice acting of Rebel Galaxy Outlaw is so solid. Yeah. Oh, it is. And you're right. It's it's got the and it's funny too. Is it's like reminiscent of like Firefly or whatever. With the, the oh yeah yeah the space out. western aesthetic. Right right. Right. And it just it, it works, man. Wait 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 wait. Travis 
narrates audiobooks? Oh, yes. he did a lot of the voices in the game, too, man. Yeah. Like, yeah, I knew yeah. that, but he does audiobooks as he well? Does. He does. Oh, yeah. man. <laughs> I couldn't tell you which ones, but I know he's talked about recording sessions, and uh, I'm guessing probably those Fifty Shades of Grey books. He probably does that kind of thing. Oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> I see that. Uh, McMaster, real quick, because you made me think of, with your Wing Commander reference, one of the things that I really admire that, I don't know how, they obviously... Uh, tuned it for this. It didn't just accidentally happen because I've played a lot of fly fight trade games where all the stuff that you're fighting is just a speck in the distance or a shape that just whizzes by you. In Rebel yeah. Galaxy Outlaw, one of the things that really reminds me of Wing Commander, in Wing Commander, they wanted you to see the ship. They wanted oh, no. you, the, whatever you were shooting, it would be in front of you enough and it would turn and you would get a sense for what you were shooting at. I think that Rebel Galaxy Outlaw somehow has the ships up close and in your face and moving around enough that you know what the different ships look like. Like, I get a I get a lovely sense of the cool spaceship design when I'm fighting something in Rebel Galaxy Outlaw that I don't feel I get in a lot of, like, the X games, where things are always far away and I'm launching missiles at them, which is probably more realistic in space, but this is much more that World War II dogfighting where you're up oh, yeah. close and personal with what you're fighting and you know exactly what it looks like and it gives it personality yeah yeah when they fly past you you know and you get like kind of the drop on them and can can strafe them you know in kind of like while you're turning you get like this really great shot of it and yeah, yeah it's it's a really beautiful uh game for for what they did and i love the touches in the cockpit you know everything Oh, yeah, the fact that when you take off – yeah, so the only time the music cuts out is when you land at a, or dock at a station. So the only yeah. time the music cuts out in Rebel Galaxy Outlaw – and this this fits. There's, it's perfectly thematic. It's consistent with the world – is when you leave your spaceship. But when you're yeah. in your spaceship, it's always playing. So it's only when you dock and get out of your spaceship that the music cuts out because, you know, you have to get out of your car. Um, yeah. All right, so uh, Rebel Galaxy Outlaw, and I'm, I'm very proud of all three of us. Not a one of us in this podcast called it Rebel Galaxy Online. That's true. RGO. So pat on the back to all of us. Uh, also, Ion Maiden, Knee Ion Fury, and uh, Planetfall compared to Gladius. Uh, I think it's been a really good couple of weeks. So yeah. Yeah. thanks for listening, everyone. We will be back in two weeks. I am Tom Chick. I've been here with Jason McMaster, Nick Diamond, and we'll see you then. Cheers. Cheers.